the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Happy Thursday, everybody. May 27th, 401 your kickoff time here on the Full Court Press. Eric France and Andre Salveson on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Uh, hope you are enjoying your beautiful day outside, by the way. Beautiful day. Gorgeous. Great day. Get get used to that. In fact, Not too hot. Be getting, well, it's that, warming up. That's going to be changing up. very soon. Hey, it's. I just said Thursday, huh? Did you say Thursday? Dude, I've been jumping a day ahead the whole entire week. It's got to stop. We were a day behind yesterday. I know. I kept saying it was Monday. Dude, I'm having issues. Well, yes, but that's besides the point. That's another story in itself. Uh, Eric, Hi. Hi. Uh, if you all want to join into the show, you're more than welcome to. You can text in at 435-339-0321. That's to text in. Then uh, your messages, or at least the cost of your messages, is per service to your contract. So if you have unlimited texting, then it doesn't cost you a dime to text out Eric's whole entire name, letter by letter. Would not cost you anything if you have unlimited texting. That's awesome. Uh, if you want to call into our show like Brett did yesterday, you can do so at 435 435- Seven five two one zero six nine. So to text in four three five three three nine zero three two one. To call in four three five seven five two one zero six nine. A little bit to get to today. NBA, um, making some adjustments. Uh, maybe looking at a twenty team playoff format. What would that look like to the NBA playoff bracket? Some things change, other things don't. Uh, Brent Guy. Uh, the story came out on ESPN thanks to. Uh, Ivan, is it Meisel? Maisel? Ivan Meisel. Meisel. Thank you on ESPN.com. Uh, of Brent Guy, who has been dealing with a bipolar disorder. Um, and he's been dealing it for about what, 30 years, 31 now. And uh, it's a really great story, really telling of the guy Brent Guy is off the field and what he was dealing with, which is um, hard, tremendously hard. And uh, if you haven't found the story, go to ESPN.com. It's, it's there. If you... I've tweeted it out. If you follow yeah, me on Twitter, on you see Twitter, the link. Twitter, yeah. The thing that is, the only thing that I think is missing from it, there's a lot of interesting detail there about how he had he hid a bipolar disorder for 30 years. From everybody. Only his wife really knew. Even his children didn't fully yeah. understand what was going on. But um, coaches, athletic staff, I mean, training staff, none of them knew. Right. He managed it. He hid it. Um, he did have a breakdown. He talks about when he was an assistant. Uh, he went he went crazy. Uh, he hadn't slept for days, and then all of a sudden he just snapped. They were trying to put a sedative in him, and he thought there were evil people trying to drug him, and President Bush was coming after him. It, it's a really crazy story. Um, but the only thing that is, that is left out of that entire story is any reference of him as a head coach. Yeah. He talks about all these different great coaches that he's been with as, as an assistant and places that he's been. It never mentions his time as a head coach at Utah State. And granted, it's you know it's not really part of the whole narrative, but uh, I can't imagine that the stress that was put upon him as a head coach was any greater than anywhere else he was as an assistant. And that would have been an interesting part to to examine is being a head coach and the additional stressors that come with that and how he he coped with that. But, you know, Brent Guy, interesting character. Um, I never had a problem with him personally. Um, he was always nice, uh, you know, to the media. Um, I, I did think that there were some things as a head coach that just didn't work out. I think there were some things that he said that I'm sure he'd be happy to take back that he said in some post-game comments that were now we'd look back and say, well, that was really insensitive. Uh, but um, I, I just don't think that he really had the facilities to recruit to the whole time. He, he was dealing with a pretty it bad, was a bad hand. hand of cards, yeah. Yeah, but there were a lot of expectations on him too. Here's a guy that was part of the program before. He was at Boise State. He was at Arizona State. He had a great pedigree, and it looked like, hey, this is going to be a great addition coming back to Utah State, and it just never really worked out. And the proof is in the pudding. I mean, wins and losses ultimately determine whether a coach is going to stay or not, and he wasn't winning. Now, 
He was able to recruit some guys at the tail end of his career that Gary Anderson greatly benefited from. But um, regardless, it's a really interesting read about confronting uh, some mental illness or or different disorders that people have um, and really kind of to be a little more conscious of what you say and who you say it around. Because he talked about how he was thinking about coming forward and talking to some of his his, uh, his close coaching friends, but then a movie came out and uh, you know, one of the, the main characters had this disorder that he also had. He's like, man, I'm not going to talk about it. This guy is, uh, you know, uh, described in this movie as a serial killer, this really bad person. He has this same thing that I'm dealing with. I'm managing it better than that guy in the movie was, but if people say, oh, gosh, you have what this guy has? Boy, you're, are you safe to be around? Are you safe to be around our, our student-athletes? So he he hit it, and sometimes in not really good ways. And so finally he's he called it quits this uh, this last year and said, you know what, I'm, uh, I'm done um, because of the, the stresses of how he was dealing with it and the new coaching job, the, the the timeline of when they were doing things and how he would normally get himself going just didn't match. And so now, really, he's being an advocate, saying, look, I think I have a, an opportunity to help people better understand this and to maybe open up more dialogue about this. Well, it's interesting. Even a psychiatrist told him not to tell anyone that he was dealing with it, that you know, as you said, 30 years ago, you know, it was the stigma of that was just too risky, if you will. Uh, and then later on, he's he's at a movie, a 1991 film called Silence of the Lambs. Right, yeah. A 29-year-old who's dealing with manic depression. He's like, oh, my gosh, I'm sitting in the same carriage as this guy. Like, I'm riding in this carriage with the guy of Silence of the Lambs. And that's when he kind of was, like, really tripped out by the whole entire thing, and he was terrified of it. Yeah, he, there's a story that is shared about him getting prescription uh, medication to help him manage it, and uh, it, there was a, most of his career, he had his wife pick it up for him. One time he went to a pharmacy to go pick it up, and I think this was when he was at Boise State? Yep. I can't remember. Yep, he goes right. to the pharmacy to pick up his meds, and the pharmacist recognized him, and starts chatting up the you know the football team and what's about this and what does he know, think about the season da 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 picked up his meds and never went back to that pharmacy again switched his meds the next day because he didn't want people to recognize him and recognize what he was doing there picking up his medications because he was really embarrassed by it yeah he'd wear a cap on his head he'd wear glasses uh, and he would get to his appointments about a half hour early and he'd just watch people who'd walk into the doctor's office. Uh, and as you said, he became an assistant coach at Boise State. Then, uh, you know, goes into pharmacy, pay the prescription. And as soon as the person had a conversation, he realized what was going on. And he was like, I, I can't be here. And you're right. He would switch it, switch to their place. And uh, he was just, I guess there was a paranoia to it. But it was just a fear that someone was going to find out. And he didn't want anybody to know. And I can actually kind of understand that that would be tough to deal with. To say, oh, wait, if, if, I mean, as an assistant coach at Boise State or assistant coach anywhere and people find out, it explodes everywhere. My question to you, um, to, to kind of sidestep this story just a tad bit, is if he were to have that issue in today's day and age, I guess, I mean, he does have that issue. How did he hide it so well? I mean, in today's age, how do you do that? Well, you have a very loyal spouse. Oh yeah, Sean was amazing. Was it yeah, Sean, right? and yes, yeah, Sean is his wife. Um, and you know, you, you have to. He he had a way of of he, he had really had a trouble uh, really had trouble sleeping, getting himself to sleep. That's a big part of this. With, with frankly, a lot of other things. I'm not playing doctor, but uh, if if people can get a a good healthy night's rest, that makes a big difference in. A lot of all the ways of how they function, and he wasn't sleeping, so he's taking pretty serious sedatives to get him to go to sleep, and so he was able to kind of slowly get his motor running in the morning and get him back into what he needed to do, and then he was able to manage the day okay. 
But then when he was at this, his latest stop at Florida International, they wanted to do really a lot of things early in the morning, go full throttle first thing in the morning. And so that required him to throw a lot of caffeine at himself and drink tons of coffee. And it's just, it wasn't really working well. Um, but it's, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, Jalen Moore opening up about his, some of his anxieties. I think that Kevin Love uh, wrote an interesting piece about some of the anxieties that he has felt and dealt with in the NBA. I, I think these are good dialogues to be having, to be having, and I don't think anybody should look down on these people for having these yeah, issues. No, I mean consider what they're able to do in spite of having these things that they're dealing with in their personal lives on the mental side. So I think it's good and it's a healthy dialogue to be having. And I'm glad that he's bringing it up. What's unfortunate though is that too often these guys bring these things up after they've left the sport because they're too afraid to bring it up when they're in the middle of it. Yeah, do you remember? <coughs> Excuse me. Do you remember when Tanner Mangum brought up his depression? Oh, yeah. How much support he got when he did. Sure, yeah. Just the amount of support he received. Uh, and, and I think that's the same way that people, I would hope, but in this world, in this day and age, you just don't know, but you'd hope that's the same amount of support that Brent Guy would get. And according to like the responses to the article, it is. Now, granted, and let's be honest here, Brent Guy was not a good football coach, a head football coach. Right, I think he was a good defensive coordinator. Yes. Uh, Utah State's defenses had some good philosophy and good uh, points that they were trying to do, but when he, the way he tried to manage the offense and the type of offensive style that he wanted, did not fit the personnel that was there. He was hell bent on trying to do it his way, making trying to do, incorporate Big Ten football <laughs> or excuse me, Big Twelve football at Utah State, and he didn't have the the horses to do it. Um, he never won more than four games, so in the season, I mean, Matt Wells won as many games in his first year as a head coach as Brent Guy did in his entire tenure at Utah State. So, yeah, it it was absolutely the right decision for Utah State to move on from Brent Guy. He was not uh, he wasn't being he wasn't a good head coach, uh, but. It doesn't take away from what he, you know, did in some of the other areas along the way. Yeah, He's highly yeah. regarded as a as a good as a good coordinator, very as good, a good coordinator. Assistant. Yeah, yeah. F, F, the FIU, I believe. That's where he was last. Yeah, well, loved him. Really did like him a lot. The the staff. He was at Memphis. Yeah, he he had a good little uh, travel uh, after Utah State. Um, but as I was saying, he was not a great football coach, or was the head football coach. But the person that you read off. Off the field is a totally different. It makes you give a totally different kind of um, perspective of Brent Guy. Because like when you read the story, you're like, holy crap, he was going through all this while coaching, while being a father, while being a husband. Like, how did he not lose his mind? Like, not only are you a father and a husband, but you're also a coach for a Division One football team. How do you handle that as well as you possibly can? At least to the degree that Brent did, that's what amazes me so much. Yeah, yeah, he, not an easy thing to do, and it, it can weigh on you. It's clearly as we've seen here. He's not, he's not that old. I mean, he could still, he could still be a coach. He could still have years in him, but um, dealing with what he's been trying to deal with over these last thirty years. Uh, it got to the point where he needed to take a break. He needed to do something different. Really interesting article. Really encourage everybody it's, to go read yeah, it. Yeah, it's so good. It's so well written by uh, Ivan. Hey, can I... I shouldn't... This probably isn't the time to ask. But Riley Nielsen, when he started at Utah State, right? And did some good things. If someone else is coaching, does Riley Nielsen come back instead of go to BYU? Because uh, I was on a maybe. mission when when that kind of whole thing spiraled out of control and he decided to go to BYU, so I wasn't there. Um, but I was wondering how much of an effect that had. I'm sure it had a big effect. Because Riley wasn't put in until late. Mm -hmm. He didn't start doing things until uh, right before he was going to leave. Mm -hmm. um, 
maybe the a certain call goes a different way against Fresno State. He's not called down when he actually, or where he the play continues when he, but when he was called down when he wasn't called down. Anyway, um, but if there's something different that happens with the coaching staff while he's on his mission, Riley Nelson, I this is just a guess, but I would I would guess strongly that Riley Nelson would have been back. Hmm. Do you think he would have been a successful quarterback here? Or do you, I mean, because I mean, he goes to BYU, he starts there, and things kind of spiral downward uh, after maybe two or three games. Didn't take long for for teams to scout him and then expose Well, he didn't start initially. No, he didn't he start initially. He kind of fought his way into that, that starting position. But even so, like, uh, and like I said, it's, it's it's really unfair to do to coach guy. But I just I, I wonder if he still would have been as successful uh, as successful of a quarterback here, other than BYU when BYU had the better talent. Let's be honest, the better coaching and the better talent, and he still can succeed there. He beat BYU on a or excuse me, he beat Utah State on a last minute drive in two thousand ten or whatever it was. Um, but like really, his career didn't become much. As a as a quarterback at BYU, so I mean I know well it's, he had a lot of injuries, point. the back injury, right? Yeah, that didn't help him. But I mean, I that he was the best quarterback of that was available to him. So I, I don't want to bag on Riley Nelson. I think that there just weren't a lot of great op- options that were going on at BYU at the time, and he was doing what he could, cons- you know, considering the circumstances. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm with you. Uh, all right. Um, again, find that article on ESPN.com. Uh, really, really good uh, article on uh, Coach Brand Guy, former head coach here at Utah State. Then was it uh, at a couple other places, ends up at FIU, retires after, what, 30? How long did he coach? Well, after Utah State, he went to Louisville to coach the, as a defensive coordinator and his linebackers coach for one year. Went to UNLV as a linebackers coach for a season. Spent a couple of seasons at Tulsa as a defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. Coached the safeties in Memphis for a season. And then it was at FIU the 2017 and 2018 seasons. And then uh, basically retired January of 19. It's a good story. All right, let's take a break. Coming back, uh, NBA basketball has got an idea of uh, of coming back. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. UConn um, it makes a drastic measure, and they cut a sport out of it, uh, out of their university to... Uh, Not just one. Yeah. Few, right? Few? Yeah. I know you mean... Uh, but just, I mean, it's a drastic measure during these COVID-19 times. We'll talk about that. Uh, we also have got... Uh, I just, I just totally lost my mind here. That one thing? That one thing about that, that one guy. That one guy? I hate you. And he did that s- stuff? You just freaking For that suck. team? I'm having a brain fart. In that other league? I'm having a brain fart. You don't even do anything. That's that's what you call a good It go was a really, really cool thing that he did. That one time. Northern Utah and Southern Idaho's home for sports. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric France and Ozzy Southman on the Full Court Press, 422 here on May 27th. It's halfway through the week. Getting near the end of May. Uh, Eric France and Ozzy Southman, 106 on FM, 1390 AM, the fan. By the way, I remember what we are going to talk about. That's the MLB. The guy. The, the thing. The, Dude, the, with that league. Shut the fetch up. <laughs> you're such a jerk. I'm such a jerk. Um... So the NBA was thinking about doing a 16-team playoff format. Now there's others and there's sources saying that maybe that expands to 20 teams. This is on the heels of what the NHL formally announced. Yep. 
just yesterday that they will do 24 teams. They will do your traditional 16, but then they'll expand it to include anybody who's on the fringes who may have had an outside shot of still making the playoffs. So they're not going to rob them of an opportunity to participate. Now, with that being said, Doris Burke of ESPN, NBA on ESPN, I should say, talks about this and says that there should be only one way to do this and for one certain reason. If the standard of safety is the first and primary thing, then it should be the 16 teams that have earned their way through 75 to 80 percent of games played. I I don't believe under any circumstance that we should be exposing more people than is necessary to this virus. And then Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN talks about the 30 teams and just doesn't think it, it, it can happen. How many teams in a league can you give a, a legitimate opportunity to to get into the postseason? There are some who'd like to have all 30 have that chance. Uh, I think the traction on having all 30 teams in Orlando has waned over the last several days. Here's the thing is, is we're at the point of like, look, Basketball players just want to come back and play basketball. This isn't like baseball where they're dealing with a whole other issue of finances and how come we aren't getting paid this certain amount of money and how come you're taking all the way this and that. This is just guys who want to come back and play basketball. And so you've got to find a way to, I mean, at least, and you thought that by now that Adam Silver would have put a plan, put a plan together um, that makes it fair. And my question to you, Eric does 20 teams make it fair, or do you stay at 16 to keep it realistic and more interesting? Because 20 teams, we're just adding in teams that are going to get swept. Probably just like that. 16 keeps it competitive, right or wrong? Well, 16 is the number that you would normally see in a, a traditional playoffs. But, um, in, so if you add two more for each conference... So does that mean the Washington Wizards and Charlotte Hornets have the same equal shot as the Portland Trail Blazers and the New Orleans Pelicans, but have the Blazers and Pelicans have significantly better records? I mean, Charlotte Hornets, they have, they've won 23 games. Mm-hmm. Only 23 games. They're a horrible basketball team. Yeah. New Orleans Pelicans have won 28. They're not necessarily much better, but they're not that far out of the playoff hunt in the West. They were only three and a half games out. I don't... So again, it goes to that cutoff point. Where do you cut it off? Here's Spencer Dinwiddie of the Brooklyn Nets talking about the playing tournament. Um, I think obviously it could be very innovative for the league to you know, allow teams that are kind of close to the playoffs to you know, uh, try to play their way in. I also know that if, let's say, the Atlanta Hawks knock off the Lakers or something, then you know people are going to hate it, right? So it... It goes both ways. Like this is another thing that it's 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 hard to say. But if you're not in the playoffs, um, and you don't want to come for you know three games or something like that, kind of like Damian Lillard said. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense to me. We we all play to win. We don't just play to be there. Yeah, and he actually brings up a good point. Say the Brooklyn Nets end up playing the Lakers, and they beat the Lakers in a series. Just uh, hypothetically, everyone. Right, breathes. Kevin Durant comes back. Kyrie Irving's back. Kyrie Irving. Suddenly, they're a vastly different team and they than beat, they were for the whole and year. They beat the Lakers. Would NBA fans be upset about it? Would they be be PO'd? If you live in Los Angeles, yes. But isn't it good for Bass? Like we get, and like, then everybody else will say, "What? Whoever else wins, there's a huge asterisk. There's going to be an asterisk before, but it just got bigger." But why? Why would they say that? It's it's a tournament, man. Hey, look, AJ, it shouldn't matter because the NBA is rigged anyway, right? They only want certain teams to win. So. Well, David Stern is no longer the commissioner, so no, it's not rigged anymore. It was definitely was rigged. I have theories, conspiracy theories, and <sighs> and all sorts of proof all above. But with Adam, then the Sil- San Antonio Spurs would have never won a championship. That's, we're not going down that rabbit hole again. So, but you're right. It would create it would create big controversy though if you have a team that, for whatever reason, this layoff has been good to them. They've gotten healthy. They're hungry. They're going to go out there like we got nothing to lose. All of a sudden, they knock off one of the contenders. It's just 
Does it because does, a contender may be more veteran team? Does it take harder Adam Silver time off? getting themselves back? Because Adam Silver's looking for at this point, you're looking for good TV revenue ratings. I think there are enough good teams in this field that it's going to be interesting. You uh, really do. Uh, yeah, Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, Celtics, Raptors. I mean, there's a lot of really good teams. And then you've got some of the upstarts that uh, were waiting for their opportunity. They're trying to improve and be there, like the Denver Nuggets, Utah Jazz. You never know what's going to happen with the Rockets. Okay. So I think that there's enough interesting teams and big names, big personalities, that it will be really interesting. Okay, so if a playoff format were to happen with 16 teams, you're looking at the following matchups. Bucks are the ones. No, when you say sixteen teams, you mean one through sixteen, regardless of conference. Combined, combined. Okay. So Magic get the Bucks one versus sixteen. You can guess who the one is. Number two seeded Lakers get the Nets fifteen two. If Kyrie comes back, that gets really spicy. Uh, uh, your let's see, and then actually, no, we'll go one side of the bracket, and then we'll do the other side. So the one side of the bracket with one to sixteen is the Bucks and Magic, and then the next. Uh, matchup below them, 8-9 matchup. This is a good one. Heat and Oklahoma City Thunder. That's going to get ratings. That's that going to draw fun. ratings. The next one would probably get ratings as well because it's the 4-seeded Clippers versus the 13-seeded Mavericks. Chris Stapps and Luka Doncic versus Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Lou Williams. That I like it. 5-12 and 12 is good rating matchups. Boston Celtics versus 76ers. And you know the whole Eastern Conference coast is all about that. 5-12 and 12 Celtics sisters. On the other side, ratings drop drastically. Lakers and Nets will only be the one to be able to hold up the ship on that side. Jazz and Rockets don't get you any ratings. It's a sweep for the Rockets. 4-0. No. Yes, it is. Eric, Rockets aren't losing to the Jazz without Bogdanovich. I know you're I in, is, you're I in give the Jazz land. a chance to do Why? something. Why would you give the... Because uh, you're a Jazz fan, and it's cute. It's adorable. <laughs> I mean, you have your little Tinkerbell suit on. That's nice. Three fourteen is Toronto and Memphis. Nuh-uh. Nobody cares. John Morant, he's rookie of the year. Catching people by storm. Versus Toronto. I'm sorry. That's that's not happening. Yeah, probably not. Denver and in uh, Indiana Pacers. 6-11. I'd watch that. I, I think that'd be too. really interesting. Actually, I, I would too. Uh, so that's what it would look like. I don't – 20 teams is too much for me. There's not enough interest in 20 teams being in the – and like you said. Well, I would just want – how would they cut it off? Like if you were – if you have an above 500 record, you're in automatically. Okay, great. Well, you still have a couple spots to fill because right now Memphis is, is below 500. You got Orlando, Brooklyn, they're below 500. Okay, so if you're in the top 16 anyway – you're in automatically. Okay, sure. great. So how do you fill the last four? Because if you look at just winning percentage, how you've done so far, then the last four are coming out of the Western Conference. Portland, New Orleans, Sacramento, and San Antonio. <laughs> and those are all pretty good teams that all have legitimate shots at still trying to make it into the playoffs. Is San Antonio a legit shot still? They're only half a game behind Portland, New Orleans, and Sacramento. They're four games behind Memphis, who currently has that number eight spot in the West. Hey, speaking of KD and Kyrie, really quickly, offset here, but Spencer Dinwiddie on just that. Uh, I mean, that's that's the uh, billion-dollar question, right? Um, you know, but that, that's not something that I can answer, really. I mean, I, I don't know. I know they're uh, working very hard. I know they're both coming back from injury, obviously. Um, you know, they're, they're two of the hardest-working guys in the NBA on the court um, and, and two phenomenal players. And um, if they are able to return and, and if that's the decision that they make, you know, obviously our, our aspirations turn from playoffs to championship. If, if they're not able to return, um, which obviously they, they pretty much said that's that's kind of the stance that they're taking. Um, then, you know, we, we still want to be a team that grinds and tries to get to the playoffs and, and, and makes a run in the playoffs. But we also understand the, the the talent that they add being, you know, two top 10 players and KD being, you know, in my opinion, like I said, the greatest score of all time. Greatest score of all time. Oof. That's, yeah, okay. Just because he's on your roster, yeah. you feel like you can say that. <laughs> hey, wh- here's the thing. Kyrie's coming back if they go to the playoffs. There's no way Kyrie says no to that. No way. Kevin Durant 
okay, 50-50. 50-50 with Durant. If he comes back and he's healthy, <laughs> it is a whole oh, new ball game. If you're LeBron of the Lakers, aren't you a little PO'd about that? Like, yeah. you you get Brooklyn as a 15th seed, and they get KD and Kyrie coming back, and that's who you got to face for five games in a neutral environment Man, setting. Man, wait, what a way to uh, set the stage for Everyone this whole tournament. Everyone says that this is LeBron Bam, James' best matchup. chance, and then you get KD and Kyrie versus LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Alex Caruso if you really want to go that far. Oh, don't, don't short Alex Caruso. Stop it, Eric. I swear to life. Hey, by the way, he's pretty good in G League, too. <laughs> uh, here is Matt. B- <laughs> here is good for him. Hey, but you said, I love what you said about the asterisk. Matt Barnes on that. He's never one short for words. Now, granted, I helped the guys prepare. I was a solid bet talking to other players when they were going through some stuff. But to me, nothing was ever handed to me. And uh, I felt like that was handed to me. So I don't, I accepted it. I think there's a misconception that I didn't want the ring. I accepted the ring. Um, there's a little story with that. Why well, I don't have it right now, but uh, I just don't count it as a championship. Oh, okay. So sorry. That was, that was something else. So Matt Barnes won a, a ring while being on the Warriors roster. Um, but he didn't accept the ring because he feel like he didn't earn it. So he, uh, he politely told them no. That he wouldn't take the ring. Oh. Okay. Carmelo, are you listening? Okay, he didn't win a ring, but he tried. Well, Carmelo never had an opportunity to win it. Yeah, he did. He had an opportunity to win a ring, but he never won a ring. He was never on a team that won a ring. Yeah, but he, I mean, if you went to the Lakers and then they won a ring, would you accept it? Yeah. Yeah, he okay. would. Well, yeah, he would. Well, he was. He, he helped them get there. <laughs> okay. He did have some injuries that season, but... Yeah. Kept him out for a while, too. Like, Carlos Boozer are all over again. Uh, but, uh, okay, is there an asterisk, in your opinion, is there an asterisk to winning an NBA championship this year? I mean, there shouldn't be, but somebody's going to pull a Phil Jackson and say, there should be an asterisk. That shouldn't really count. Because someone's not going to be happy with how the outcome is. But it was all beyond anybody's control. It's not like the lockout year when Phil was trying to say the Spurs championship that season shouldn't count. A championship is a championship. But it is very strange how there's been this, there would have been like a three or four month break of organized basketball. And then they come back together and try to determine the champion. Um, the <laughs> there, It's just unprecedented. There, there shouldn't be an asterisk, but everybody will look at whoever wins with a little skepticism about how they got there and how they won it. But why? I, that, that's the thing is it doesn't make sense as to why. I just still have to play. There may be some teams that are better built for this type of situation than others. What do you mean for this type of situation, though? Uh, well, and I've heard it debated. Is it better to have a younger team that can get themselves back into shape and back into the groove quicker? Or is it better to have an older team that these weird disruptions don't bother them that much? Having to relocate to a, a a foreign gym and starting to pick up basketball again won't really affect them as much because they've seen a lot of different things. So I don't I don't know. It, it's it's very different. Okay, so out of the Bucks, Magic, Heat, Thunder, Clippers, Mavericks, Celtics, Sixers, Lakers, Nets, Jazz, Rockets, Raptors, Grizzlies, Nuggets, Pacers, who gets screwed over the most in this scenario and who benefits the most from the scenario? Well, I think I actually think that the veteran teams maybe have a bit more of a challenge. Um, and I don't know why, but it's just my hunch. Because um, it's, it's not like there's a lot of weird travel that's involved, but it's the possibility of having a lot of games in a shorter amount of time to try to get it caught up and make it happen. Your traditional... Schedules are out the window. Yeah, true. So maybe a, a younger team like the Milwaukee Bucks may be more better positioned than like the LA Lakers who are more veterans. Makes sense. Uh, really quickly, here's Adrian Wojnarowski on the format, its potential, and how it would actually have to come to be. There's a Board of Governors call on Friday right, right. Uh, with uh, the league office 
and the owners around the league. And there's a, a sense that possibly Adam Silver will have something to present to them. Uh, and then they can start moving forward with the Players Association about recalling players into their markets and having a training camp and getting to Orlando and playing games possibly by uh, you know, tipping off by the end of July in Orlando. But I think you're going to see one way or another um, a more complete picture of what the NBA's return to play uh, will look like by the end of this week. Less than the 30, but more than the 16 teams that you would you know, normally go to the postseason with, eight in each conference. Now, whether that number is 20, whether it's 24, uh, there's the play-in uh, tournament that the league had looked to do in the future. They may get a chance now to do it now. There's the possibility of a more complicated pool play scenario, but it is starting to feel like the, the answer for the league is somewhere in between 16 and 30. Hey, can, let's really quickly look at the Jazz, the situation there. No Bojan Bogdanovic, he's done. Mike Conley has not been Mike Conley since game one, uh, consistently. Right, he had moments and you don't, where he was looking like, okay, he's fitting in, and then he would regress. But he was fitting in just as this whole shutdown happened. And then Jordan Clarkson's your lone guy off the bench who actually can contribute and score. Consistently, yes. Yes, which presents a problem against a deep team like the Houston Rockets. But no Clint Capella anymore because he's gone. So now you're going to find out how really good this Houston team is and if their small ball thing can work without Clint Capella because the Jazz got torched by Clint Capella because he owned Rudy Gobert. Why are well, they got torched when they shifted full bore to the small ball, and the Jazz didn't have a, a counter to it. Which, by the way, which is now where they're at. So why? Why well, did well, you the first game when they did that? But the second game when they played them in Houston, Jazz played them a lot better. It took a pretty dramatic shot from Boyan at the end to win the game, but the Jazz handled it a lot better. So teams saw what Houston was doing to the Jazz, and they were replicating it, and it's kind of baffled. Utah for a little bit, but then they made their adjustments and they were getting better at handling the small ball, all the five shooters out. And so I'm, I still have confidence in Quinn Snyder and his coaching staff that they'll be able to figure out a way to work around it. You still got to stop James Harden. You got to stop Russell Westbrook. And they don't have a guy on that team that can do so. Rudy Gobert versus Russell Westbrook. Rudy that Go- was the matchup in Houston. As weird as it sounds, Russell wants to get to the rim. Jazz would let him shoot from the outside. He's not a great outside shooter. If he gets in rhythm and starts hitting it, then you're in trouble. But he wants to attack the rim. And so you put everybody else out and just stick Rudy on him to protect the rim. And that's what the Jazz were doing in Houston. The problem is is with this is that they can expose the Jazz for about everything without Bogdanovich. Offensively. Who can be that guy to score? If Mitchell's forcing it and it's not working, who else besides Clarkson coming off the bench? Well, and I also that's what think, scares me. I think the bigger question is how are the Jazz going to work together as a team? Are they going to be on Team Donovan or are they going to be on Team Rudy? Are they going to let all that get behind them? Because I think there were other things that were going on. The Jazz were not being really good at how to do the pick and roll and get Rudy the ball down in the post before this whole COVID thing blew up on them. And so if they can figure out how to work together to win games, they've got a great weapon down low that they just were, weren't were getting the ball to them. And how much of that was what Houston was doing? Maybe some of it. But I think also there was a, uh, what's the right term, kind of a, a, a seduction to try to play Houston and beat them at their own game. And that's not who the Jazz are. Seven-game series, because Adam Silver wants to go through that seven-game series, first, second, third round, so on and so forth. Do the Jazz make it five? At least. No way. Even on a neutral court against a talented team like Houston, and they are talented without even without Clint Capella, you still think they can hang with them for six? Yeah. That's bold. And the Jazz get them in six. Okay, now you're just starting just to 
just to be dumb, <laughs> which is, I mean, whatever, drugs or what, I mean, your life, your choices. You did, So if they had Boyan, how different would your opinion be? They'd be six. Boyan that the two, Jazz would win in six? No, Jazz would lose in six. You, so you have the Jazz losing no oh, matter jazz Boyan or not. Houston in a seven-game series? Yeah, I think they would. The, the Houston fact, experiment was Mike starting D'Antoni to fall apart. Mike D'Antoni is a better coach than Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder gets out-thought, or whatever that word is, he gets out-coached incredibly by Mike D'Antoni. And for some reason, the Jazz can't play offense against the Rockets. They struggle offensively versus the Rockets. And again, you're trying to stop James Harden. You're trying to stop James Harden on a neutral court. It's just not happening. Not even there. Without, okay, with Bojanovic, they're losing in six. Without Boyan, they're losing in four. <laughs> Two oh, of those, have little faith. Three of those four games are by 15 or more points. Six, two, nine, four. One thing you have to remember, he is Quinn. And will have weeks and weeks to prepare if this is the playoff seating. That's true. That's a good six, point. Six, two, nine, four. That's, yeah. That is a good point. But the, but again, you're, as much as we can plan, like, do you remember the whole, like, Ricky Rubio standing behind James Harden and guarding him from behind? Uh, sadly, yes. That, that was Quinn Snyder, man. It was. And Dennis Lindsay's like, hey, we trust Quinn Snyder. Well, but game one, it was atrocious. But did you see how <laughs> it changed over the course of the series? No. It changed a lot. Harden's numbers went down game to game. Because the Jazz figured out how to do that in the right way. It was the right philosophy, just the execution wasn't right. It's right philosophy? What are you talking about? Then freaking Harden goes to the hole, lobs it up for Capella, who throws it down. That was what we were seeing for like games two, three, four, and five. I don't think there was a game six that series. I, it was just odd. And it just seemed like, like, what the heck are you doing, Quinn? Make an adjustment here, man. And like games one and two were ugly. Games three and four were a little bit better. And game five, they, you know, search was over. I just, I don't trust. I, I hate to say it, 6294, but I don't know if I trust Quinn Snyder versus, not versus Mike D and Tony. I don't know if I trust Quinn Snyder versus James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And, and, you know, and like you said, is, there, is it Team Gobert, is it Team Mitchell, or is it Team Jazz? Yeah, is it Team Quinn? Like, where like where do these guys stand? That's what worries me the most. How they're much not is Team Quinn play? when they get together. Then it doesn't matter who they're going to play. Hey, can I ask you one more question? Okay, so say season door, we get swept by the Rockets in four games, four in, four out. Good night. Rudy Gobert is a free agent. Win is it in two years? It's next year. I, I was going to say I think it's next summer, along with Giannis. Four year. Yep, it is. It's next summer. Along with, by the way, that free agent class is just stupid good. Do you? Yeah, but they're not going to get the money because the the, yeah. the money from what's happening this year is it's going to affect things for several years. Do in the you NBA. trade Rudy Gobert this summer so you get value out of him, or do you trade Donovan Mitchell so you get value out of him and keep Rudy Gobert? I don't even want to think about that. Come on, do it. Come on, get negative with me. Do it. Okay, you've been way too positive, and it's starting to really make me mad <laughs> because you're being unrealistic positive. You why do I have be, to trade any of them? You need to be realistically negative. Why? Why not, dude? Rudy Gobert and Donovan don't see eye to eye. They're not. There's no way that they're like sharing a bag of gummy bears on the bus with each other. You don't have to. Okay, Gobert wants out. Do you let him go, or do you go one more run at it and try to salvage the relationship and make something out of it? Or well, and, I think, and how much value do you get out of it? Well, I, I think that he is he's going to try to get a max contract because he was an all-star, and defensive if he player of the year twice. Player of the year again, it's a super max, by the way. If and I don't wins. think that the Jazz have the money to do that. And I don't think that they... We've seen this multiple times over the years. Sinking all of your money into a defensive player won't get you as high as you think you're going to get. Um. So, I would be really, really hesitant for the Jazz. Rudy has to display more of an offensive prowess to command that kind of money. He has? What are you talking about? 
Does he average nearly 20 points a game? In this day and age, he doesn't no. get a touch the ball because Donovan Mitchell's too busy taking 50-footers and spinning one-handed, one-handed no-look shots. Like he doesn't get the opportunity to touch the ball offensively. Because Donovan Mitchell, he does. I mean, he's no, he has he improved doesn't. his offensive game this last year. But he has to do touches, more. But he he's got to get more chances. In another team, in another offense, he gets those chances. Here in Utah, he won't because of Donovan Mitchell. You trade him this summer or this 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 off season. Donovan? You, uh, no, Rudy Gobert. And you're you, bagging on Donovan. You're acting like he's not helping this his team. But they're going to keep Donovan, the younger guy. They're going to keep the you know Mister Face of the franchise. Rudy, you get value. You get more value out of Rudy probably as of right now. You get a first round pick and an all star, or you get two firsts and a second, or you get two seconds, maybe three seconds and a first. You get greedy in trading Rudy Gobert before he takes off next year, and you get nothing out of him, like we did with Gordon Hayward. Get greedy and get the value now. So it's more about accumulating assets than trying to win. We can't win. We just prove that. If we get swept by Houston, you can't win with Rudy Gobert. You can't win with... I don't know what you can win with. If you have Darwin Rudy on the team and you can't win in the first round, you shouldn't be... You got you to gotta do something. And by the way, that Mike Conley thing blows up in your face too. Hey, we got to take a step aside. There's yeah. big news coming out of University of Connecticut. Uh, we've heard of programs across the country, uh, schools cutting certain athletic teams. Uh, UConn is taking... Is allegedly taking it to a whole other level. Uh, it's not good. And but is it all because of COVID, or is it because of bigger problems that were already going on? It's all coming up on the full court press. The full court press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Eric France and Andre Salveson, Full Court Press, 452 to wrap up another show, get you ready for Thursday. Eric, UConn is uh, making some drastic decisions here. Well, according to Pat Forty and Sports Illustrated, uh, says that there are, and he's not the only one reporting this, apparently there's some uh, additional media outlets that are reporting that UConn could be cutting up to eight sports, dropping eight sports. And uh, going to the minimum of 16 to still be considered NCAA Division I. Um, but one of those sports... Now, we know UConn is a great powerhouse for women's basketball. We know that they've won in, the, in men's basketball in years past. Uh, interesting to hear this because we hear that uh, they signed some special deal with CBS Sports that they're going to broadcast their games... But the thing is, they've been running a deficit in excess of $40 million just this last year. $40 million? $40 million. Oh. Yikes. So one of the things that they're talking about is dropping eight sports, and one of them it could be football. Uh, this is the We've heard of other sports being cut uh, over the last uh, two months because of financial problems that are already existing with a lot of these programs. Around the country, um, but UConn taking it to a whole other level, and this is this was once a team, the school that was part of a power program. They were in the Big East, but they've mismanaged a lot of things. They haven't been able to hold on to a quality head coach for football. They've been independent; it hasn't worked out. It's been very costly, and now they're going to be dropping. In 2018, UConn went one eleven. But they, the coaches that year got $84,000 in bonuses. I mean, that tells you enough about the mismanagement of what's going on in UConn athletics. <laughs> oh, boy. It's, uh, it's bad. So Okay, so wait. So all the big games, because they've played quite a few big games during the non-conference. Well, I mean, the, the, the question is, it. yeah, when, when does it drop? Does it drop immediately? And what about all these deals that were just announced? You Wyoming just announced they're going to go to UConn in 2021. FIU announced a series with UConn for 22 and 23 seasons. So what happens to the future schedules if this this team just all of a sudden bails? 
You got to reschedule them, or you just got an extra bye week. I don't know. It's messy. I think you'd have to reschedule it. Now, if it's this season, it's understandable. If it's in two or three years, you got to reschedule the game. You got to find somebody else to play because you have time. Well, I say you have time, but maybe you don't. Uh, but it, it's dropping football. Dropping you. football, and what we've seen is that if if a sport was dropped, their uh, coronavirus, the COVID nineteen pandemic. That it seems to be the convenient excuse because there was already problems in financial mismanagement. It's been a big problem in college athletics for a long time. Oh, yeah. It's been huge. What uh, you know, The if- imbalance between what football does compared to the expenses for other, other sports, so out of whack. No, that's a good point. I uh, Well, it's crazy just, I mean, like you said, how much football makes. If you were to take Utah State basketball and they go play some of these road games at big-time universities and they're able to make that much money, be sitting pretty right now because Craig Smith has done a great job scheduling big-time programs. Even if it is on a neutral court, quote-unquote, like in Florida, still a big-time game. So, uh, all right, that's going to do it for today. We'll get you ready. Well, I guess we'll we'll see you tomorrow for Thursday here on 106NFM. 1390 AM and 106on the This has been the Full Court Press. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. While the NBA is still trying to iron out details of how they'll finish the 2020 season, the NHL is going straight to the playoffs. They announced that they plan to hold a 2014 tournament in two hub cities. While there are details to fill in, it appears that eight teams will get buys and everyone else will compete in a play-in round. Critics might argue it's not the same if you don't complete the regular season. But the NHL is just like the NBA. The season is too long. Are we really going to miss the last 15 games? None of this is ideal. But as Commissioner Gary Bettman said, hockey fans overwhelmingly want to finish the season. It's a good bet that NBA fans feel the same way. That means the leagues will have to get creative, very creative, and we will have to live with a little bit of compromise. I get the feeling once the action returns with the NBA and the NHL, the complaints will fall by the wayside and the intense playoff competition will take over. I'm Dan Patrick and this is Above the Noise.